Welcome to the Radio Bible Course. How many books are in your New Testament? I ask that question because for people who do not believe the creation story written in the Old Testament, but referred to in the New Testament, they likely do not trust those writers who refer to the creation story. For example, Paul the Apostle refers to the creation story and Adam and Eve. Can Paul be trusted? If we don't believe he knew what he was talking about, then we, of course, would want to discard everything that Paul wrote. That's 13 books. We have 14 left, then, in the New Testament, but the Gospels also refer to the creation story, to Cain and Abel, to the first man and the first woman. That makes 17 books that we need to eliminate. But one of those Gospel writers, John, also wrote three other epistles. He also wrote the book of Revelation. If John believed the story in Genesis, then, of course, we can't believe him, and we need to discard those four books. That gives us a total of 21 out of the 27 books, which we can't have real confidence in. If you believe the creation story of Adam and Eve and the temptation and how sin entered into the world, you, of course, have 27 New Testament books, because you accept that story and what the New Testament writers said about it. But if you do not accept the creation story, then for you, many of the New Testament writers are not credible. Now, in connection with the creation story, we have the story of Cain and Abel, the first two sons of Adam and Eve. One killed the other. Did that event really happen? Some years ago, I attended a Sunday school class on the university campus and found a woman teacher teaching about the Cain and Abel story. And she said, we can't take this story literally. It is figurative. She said Cain represented evil people and Abel represented the righteous people in the world. Well, a young Christian that I knew then asked the question, if that's the case, who killed whom? She couldn't answer and was embarrassed. Is there anything in the Cain and Abel story that suggests that it's figurative language? Not at all. Listen to the account in Genesis chapter 4. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. 
And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Was the story figurative? I don't see anything in the context that suggests that it should not be taken literally. But whether I take it literally or figuratively is not as important as what Jesus believed about it. Did Jesus have anything to say about Abel or Cain? He did in Matthew chapter 23. Beginning with verse 29, he said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, If we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of the sin of your forefathers. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. Jesus talked about the history of murder in the Old Testament. He summarized it when he said, All the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zacharias, son of Berechiah. He clearly referred to the Cain and Abel story, and he believed that it was literal because he is teaching from something that happened. If it were figurative, his point would have been lost and the Jews would have known it. But they knew the Cain and Abel story. They believed it, and they believed it was in the Holy Scriptures given to them by God. Now, to whom was Jesus speaking here? He was speaking to religious people. And they might have said, Jesus, you don't believe the Cain and Abel story, do you? No, they wouldn't have said that to Jesus if anyone dared to even suggest that that wasn't a true story. Their life would have been in danger because the Jews believed it and they were fanatics about the word of God. Now, there's another passage that treats the story of Cain and Abel as literal. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels, to the general assembly, and church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, 
the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. He mentions Abel, the blood of Abel, the murdered son of Adam and Eve. Now, if Abel was not a real person, then there's reason to doubt the other things in this passage. And what else do we have? We have mentioned the sprinkled blood of the Lamb of God who died on the cross. We have Jesus as the mediator of the new covenant. We have God as the judge of all. We have the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Was Jesus the mediator of the new covenant? Was his blood shed on our behalf? Is there a church of the firstborn which is enrolled in heaven? There is. And these are literal. Now, is there anything in the passage that suggests that one of these items is figurative, but the others are not? No, they are all put together and treated as fact. Earlier I said that if a person doesn't believe the creation story as found in Genesis, then there are 21 books that are seriously in doubt because the authors didn't know what they were talking about. Now this one makes 22 books. That doesn't leave us many left, only five books left in the New Testament that we can trust. We read in the Old Testament book of Genesis the story of a great, great flood. We read in chapter 7 that all the springs of the deep earth burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were opened and rain fell on the earth forty days and forty nights. And on that very day Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. And they had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind. And it tells us that the waters flooded the earth for a hundred and fifty days. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the water had gone down, and on the seventeenth day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the tenth month, and on the first day of the tenth month, the tops of the mountains became visible. Well, you know the rest of the story. It's a fantastic story. Is it credible? Well, people have varying opinions about this. Not many people want to believe it. Many people have tried to disprove it, and many theories have evolved about how this might have happened or where this story came from. 
Yes, the Assyrians and the Babylonians had a flood story, and it's been suggested that Moses, if he even wrote the book of Genesis, they say, would have copied it from perhaps the Babylonian records. Again, we need to go to the greatest expert in the world to determine whether we can believe this story. We would like to ask Noah, but Noah is no longer around. We'd like to ask Moses, who wrote about it, but he received that by revelation because it happened long before his time, but Moses isn't around. We'd like to ask Jesus what he thought about it, but he's no longer here. However, we have a record, a reliable record, of what Jesus believed about it and what he said. That's found in Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse 37. He said, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days which were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, they were marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. If that event did not happen, why did Jesus refer to it? I want to continue this discussion tomorrow. Tune in, please. All of these teachings about what Jesus believed about the scriptures are available on six cassette tapes from the Radio Bible Course. The course is called Authority of the Bible. Our brochure entitled Teaching Tapes will tell you how to order. Until tomorrow, this is Nick Calavota reminding you that the word gospel means good news. Our address is Radio Bible Courses, Post Office Box 149. 16 Baton Rouge, Louisiana, 70898. The website is rbcword.org.